y'all. Pretend we're football for the next hour. I'm your host, Will Bazer. Uh, okay, I'm not your host, Will Bazer. Will is on a, a hunger strike. He is protesting the conditions of this podcast and every other Texas Longhorns-related podcast. We don't know when it's going to end, uh, but he has never looked better in a swimsuit. So today we're going to talk about Cal Baptist and Sam Houston State games. Uh, anything we learned or did not learn. What do we feel about those games or not feel about those games? Uh, that's that's probably yeah, good enough. Uh, then we're going to talk some high-level stuff in terms of uh, kind of how we feel about things at the moment. Uh, and then we're going to get into previewing UT Rio Grande Valley, which will take about 30 seconds, and then talk about Seton Hall, because that's the game that both of us are more interested in, definitely more interested in. So... With that said, uh, I'm not going to filibuster for the first time possibly ever as the host of this podcast. Tim, Cal Baptist, what did you learn? Well, Cal Baptist was um, was founded in 1836 by Napoleon Bonaparte. He came over as part of the as part of the Louisiana Purchase, and um, for a while was a governor of most of Eastern New Jersey, uh, and then also. Greater Wyoming, just in general. Yeah, and it wasn't much of a game after that. I like how you have Napoleon coming over as part of the Louisiana Purchase, as if he was not the guy selling in the Louisiana Purchase. No, we own him. Yeah, that he's ours. Yeah, that was okay. part of the deal. That was the kicker, as they say. Sweet. <laughs> it. Without spoiling the rest of the podcast for everybody, there's gonna be there's gonna be some pretty tepid enthusiasm here, uh, and it's gonna begin with with this section. I th- what we learned against Cal Baptist seems to be a little bit more of what the entire season has been so far against the teams that we've played, other than Gonzaga, right? Um, our entirety as a as a, as a group uh, with with basketball IQ. Our entirety as a group with, with decision-making on the offensive end of the floor. Our entirety of a group of, of, of that ability to figure out shot selection and you know finishing at the free throw line, things like that, is good. I mean, it's a good team. So <clears throat> that's a fun thing to get. Uh, so, <laughs> so we just learned in real time that Will is currently drunk. So hopefully he's having a good time with whatever it is that he is doing. So uh, enjoy yourself, my is, guy. Isn't well, this his mom's birthday or I something? Think, or was that so. yesterday? I, I'm, for the purposes of comedy, I, I'm going to say that he is drunk at his mom's birthday. So that's that's what this is. Oh. Uh, congratulations, Will, on getting absolutely shithoused around your mom. Um, yeah, as far as the game, uh, I learned more about the Armstrong brothers from Australia during the game than I knew about them going in, <laughs> uh, which is understandable because uh, Taron Armstrong is was sort of the only thing about Cal Baptist that was super notable. Um, and he, he got, I don't want to call it exposed, it's just he's playing at Cal Baptist. This is going to be kind of his highest level competition he's going to run into, right? Like, you know, before them, uh, before Texas, they played Northern Colorado, which they beat a little bit, who Texas beat. Uh, they played San Jose State, who they beat a little, which Texas beat. Um, but, you know, then they followed Texas with San Diego Christian, uh, which uh, you've good luck uh, other than knowing the name of the city in it, where <laughs> it would be, right? Like, if I named that anything else Christian, you would not know the city they're in. Um, they're not even a D1 team. So really it's sort of a, a, a cross-religious war, the Baptists beating the hell out of the Christians. Sorry about that. One came out on top this time. And unfortunately, just like with Baylor, too often it's the Baptists. So I, I feel like Armstrong, he's, I mean, he's interesting. It, he started to get some, some notice from NBA scouts. And, you know, I, I feel like he's he's a guy who's going to, next year show up on a high major team through the transfer portal and then a year or two after that end up in the NBA or something. But when he's the only guy, then he's he's gonna get shut down by a team like Texas. Just because there's he he's a D one player, a high major D one player playing on a team full of 
not really high major D1 players and playing against a team full of high major D1 players. So, um, I don't know. He he seemed interesting. He seemed like an interesting player. I I could see why people are interested in him from a, you know from a scouting perspective, because he has sort of an interesting vision of the court. But you know when you're when you're passing to scrubs, there's only so much you can do about it. So from a touch more Texas centric standpoint, not that you're not uh, giving the people what they want. Uh, <laughs> no, I never give people what they want. It's fine. Yeah. There there are three there are three kind of I don't want to say highlights, but three focal points that I that I will say I want to touch on briefly. The first is that felt like the first game where Andrew Jones's real role as a as a sixth man extraordinaire coming in as a playmaker and shooter and scorer off the bench, I think really kind of showed itself initially. Uh, that was a role that I think uh, some people had pegged him for before the season started. Uh, although that was when I thought DeSue was going to be around much earlier than he than he was. I believe I told Johnny the very first game, I hear you think he's going to be back. And uh, here we are a month later, and it's uh, it's not. So shows uh, yeah, shows what way, I know. <laughs> when is, when is DeSue, like DeSue's like the, the Easter bunny at this point. When, when is he actually going to show up in a game? I can tell you it's uh, so people, multiple people, because Johnny's not the only one, but multiple people have asked me over the last month, like, oh, is he going to be back today? And I've said, I believe so, a number of times. Uh, and then they've been kind of wrong every single yeah, time. <laughs> they've sort of thoughtfully uh, been like, oh, you're full of shit. Uh, for what it's worth, I've kind of expressed that same uh, feeling to my source. So <laughs> do, do not feel like I'm not reciprocating your frustration. Uh, now, it's it's what it is. Like, they're taking it super, super slow. I understand. And um, I do, I do think that there comes to be a point where, like, if he's eighty percent or eighty-five percent, getting him some reps is still probably worth it. So I don't know for sure why they are stopping. I know that he is back to full speed in practice, as far as when they've done some uh, some scrimmage work and things like that. So I, I do believe that he's he's close. He, does he have some discomfort? Is he still figuring out like? what he does and doesn't feel comfortable with as far as planting and jumping and spinning and things like that. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, if, if nothing else, you got to figure our schedule gets far less easy here pretty quick. So with teams like Stanford and Seton Hall um, and then the Big 12 schedule coming up. So we're, we're running out of cupcakes for what that's it worth. It seems like it would be bad to bring him in for like West Virginia as his first action. You'd imagine so. Unless they're going some sort of super long game of like, well, maybe he'll redshirt this year, which doesn't seem like Beard's style at all. But I, at this point, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, they're, what, six games in, so. Yeah. So Andrew Jones is a six man, and I think that's a role that suits him. Brushed me off. <laughs> We're trying to make it faster today, right? It's, it's pretty late for, every, you know, we're getting behind the curtain here. It's pretty late for everybody. So another thing that I thought was interesting is that Jalen Tyson got almost no minutes. And to to see that happening this early in the preseason um, uh, speaks volumes to me of, of what we will or won't see of him as the games get more and more real. And then lastly, the the dichotomy that is Timmy Allen, and not from a standpoint of him playing well or not playing well, but us figuring out where he is and isn't comfortable on the court, both on offense and defense, I think is going to be really kind of a dance that I'm fascinated to see how the staff figures out with him. Is he a playmaker? Is he an in-the-paint rebounder? Is he a high-key defender? Is he... What do we look like from him? And in the game against Cal Baptist, he was our leading rebounder. He was a pretty significant playmaker for us. I think he led us in scoring or close to it. But And he, he got yelled at by Beard. <laughs> he did. There was, there was a point, like, what was it, like, midway through the second half when they're up by, you know, 20-ish, and... Beard like really lit into him for something, probably defense. Uh, and I defense, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, "But buddy, he's been your best player. Like, just you know, forest for the trees." And then his role against uh, against Sam Houston State, at least defensively, was far different. So how they enact his his playmaking or his so, perimeter defending I'm, and I'm that gonna, kind of stuff. I'm gonna so. I'm gonna break in here. Sure. Uh, Explain how different you felt his uh, his role was defensively between Cal Baptist and Sam Houston State. So what we saw a lot uh, against Sam Houston State was he was kind of the tip of the spear inside of Texas's half-court defense. So what a lot of action was 
let me give you a little context first. We 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 know that Andrew and Marcus and Jace are willing defenders. They are not particularly natural defenders. De- I think you can include, include Devin in that, although Devin's a better athlete than the three of those others. But all of those guys struggle to some extent and kind of to a decent extent with staying in front of the ball. So the wrinkle that they threw in against Sam Houston State that I actually really liked is that Timmy Allen stayed at the high key for almost for for long stretches of that game and whoever else was coming around him we would switch off of and when we would switch Timmy would stay at the high key so like let's say Jace's man was coming and was gonna like like rub against um you know have some kind of rub screen against the guy that Timmy Allen was was guarding well Jace would go with whoever leaves and Timmy would stay in that middle spot or you can say the same for Andrew with Timmy or Marcus with Timmy. And so it just felt like Timmy was always up on the on the high key. And he was the one who was responsible to guard that middle of the floor, high key, high post area, dribble penetration. And he did a really good job for the most part. Uh, and, and you and I had texted a little bit talking about some of the rubs that, that you know, San Houston State was running. I thought that their offense was actually pretty effective, at least for a while there, until maybe a quarter of the way into the second half. So to see him kind of do that now... One of the interesting pieces of that is he went from being our leading rebounder against against Cal Baptist to not, I mean, maybe having like, what was it, like three or four rebounds against, uh, against Sam Houston State? Yeah. yeah. Um, so we, and he's sort of our most natural um, rebounding talent at this point without DeSue. Now, then the other thing offensively, then how his role switched a bit is we became much more, especially when we were playing quickly. He was more of a tertiary guy, not like really initiating the offense as much. We were looking for Andrew and Marcus and Courtney to initiate kind of looking for the mid-range and have those guys be more the focal point. And then he was sort of like the cleanup guy or he came up and was someone that we found on like safety valves or looking for backdoor cuts. So he had a lot at the rim. I wish he would have finished a few more of those and ones, but I liked, I did like how we were, were playing him with the caveat being if he's 20 feet from the basket defensively or 25 feet from the basket defensively for the most of a possession, we're going to get shit on on the glass. Because uh, if you lose on the glass against Sam Houston State, I know that I'm talking about that team before we really got there. I apologize. But, uh, no, we're, we're I, as far as I'm <laughs> concerned, we're already in the Sam Houston State thing. Like Cal Baptist is in the rearview mirror. It's right. fine. Yeah. So if you lose on the glass to Sam Houston State, like a team like Baylor or Kansas or Seton Hall or West Virginia or just about anybody else that we're going to play most of the rest of the, of the season, uh, like, okay, what's this going to look like? So, so it, you know, give and take, as you talked about, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how, how they see his role continue. So I, I agree with the rebounding concerns. I, I find it uh, interesting slash concerning that, Basically, it's it feels like every opponent that has played Texas has hit at or above their average on offensive rebounding. Sam Houston State got 38% of their missed shots, which is a ridiculous number for a mid-major team playing a high-major team. And, I mean, it's one thing. It is one thing for a team like Texas it could, because we've had coaches in the past who schematically didn't really care about offensive rebounds, which, okay, that's a choice. You can make that. There, there are pros and cons there. But defensive rebounding, you can't go score the ball if you don't get it. So uh, if you're going to keep giving up offensive rebounds, that's going to be a problem. Like there's, there's sort of four factors in uh, in basketball that, that are – a big deal, and if you are bad at defensive rebounding, you better be really good at something else. And and we'll get a little bit into sort of the macro later of the the trade offs there. But um, I, I found it interesting, and you know, I went back and looked, and Cal Baptist picked up like thirty four percent of their available offensive rebounds, and that was a game where Timmy Allen was not that far from the basket for the most part. So. I, you know, I, I know that a lot of the discussions around what Texas is or isn't this year, there's a, there's this big caveat of, well, if we get DeSue back, and when, when we get DeSue back, and oh, what, well, okay, what if we get DeSue back? And, and as much as I am high on DeSue generally, and I he is a very good rebounder, it depends on how they use him and who he takes the place of as to how much difference that makes. And so I know that, and I went back looking at this a little bit, and Chris Beard's teams have never been particularly good at the defensive 
glass. Like that's not, other than his first year at Tech, it's not been a strength. And I don't know if it is a, just him like sort of, I, I don't want to say like saying, well, fuck it, whatever. We'll, we'll do other things better. Uh, I don't know if it's a function of his defenses trying to be more aggressive elsewhere that brings them away from the glass, which is entirely possible. Um, but I, I think that while that has been a, uh, I'll call it a feature of his uh, defenses over the years, it's never been worse than it is now. Like none of his tech teams have had as bad a defensive rebounding numbers as Texas has had this year. And we're still basically mostly playing cupcakes. So um, going forward through the through the, the Big 12 play, if they don't get that corrected, that's going to be a problem. As far as Sam Houston State, uh, as far as that game specifically, uh, one, I do want to give credit to the entire concept of playing a game at the Greg. Like that's been something that, Texas fans have asked for for years and it finally happened and the crowd seemed really into it. It was a good idea to make it a student's thing. Like they're going to be the most amped about that sort of thing. And they're also going to be the cheapest people to get there because you set up some food trucks at the tower and say, come have a pizza party or whatever it is. And, you know, then come walk down with beard and, you know, and Brock Cunningham and whoever, and then we'll go play a game. Like it's an easy win. Right. And it's in it. And it's a good idea. It makes sense. It, it was, you know, uh, uh, as much shit as I give beard about his hacky, like Abe Lemons classic with the t-shirts that make it look like Abe Lemons died at seven days old. Um, there is no doubt that this, uh, this game was a good idea and most of the execution of it was a good idea. That court was a disaster. Um, it looked like 12 different courts on one court. And I mean, I, you know, I, I know that the volleyball team is starting the NCAA tournament run right now and good for them. And they should absolutely have precedence in Greg because that's where they play their games. Uh, I feel like maybe if you had all summer to plan your schedule, maybe you try and schedule it when you don't have to do a quick turn with the volleyball team, just thinking out loud so that maybe you, you know, you wheel in the, the, the Irwin center court from the other, like they brought the, the rims from the other court, like that, that's that all the, the baskets and all the other stuff was from the other court. So while you're loading up the truck, put the parquet on there and, and roll it up there. Like, it just seems like if you're going to do this next year, and I, I'm, I'm 100% in favor of them doing it again next year, even though they're going to be trying to pay for Moody Arena, so it probably won't happen. Um, I, I, I think it was a good idea. And, and, you know, it was a good idea to sort of, you know, bring up the history of the gym, even though, again, they had shirts that made it look like Gregory Jim died in 1977 somebody's got to work on those fucking shirts. They're like, they, I don't, I don't know who's doing the shirts. They, they gotta, they gotta use another template. Um, but it was a good idea and you could feel the crowd. And like, you, honestly, it felt like Texas for the first time was like, Whoa, what's this home court advantage we've got? Like, I don't like they, they might, I don't know if they, they were a little discombobulated by it. Same Houston state seemed to feed off it a little bit. Like it was a good, it was a good crowd. It was a good idea. So from that perspective, a plus idea. Uh, they, they absolutely na- nailed the idea. The execution could use a little work. As far as the game itself, I mean, I, you know, I, I agree with basically everything that, that Tim said. Um, I, I do think it's good to see that for probably the first game all season, Marcus Carr really started to show out. It was good to see him go hunt his own shot because they're going to need that going forward. Um, I, I, I have felt like for the first... I'll say five and a quarter games that, that he, he's just seemed tentative and unsure of his role. And like, he just wasn't, I don't know if it's that he wasn't used to the system or if it was that he didn't feel like he was like, it wasn't, it didn't feel, uh, I don't know. It didn't feel like second nature. It felt like he was thinking instead of playing. And, uh, and some of those decisions showed sort of the t- tentativeness, but in that game, it and, and maybe it was you know Sam Houston State guys talking trash to him because he he definitely started talking partway through the game. He he was he started showing why he was a sought after 
transfer, right? And, you know, his assist to turnover numbers were good, but he also went and found his shot. And, like, Texas is going to need that going forward. So I I liked what I saw out of Marcus Carr. What, what did you see out of Marcus Carr? As we played faster offensively, he seemed much more comfortable. And I think what? that when you... <laughs> Texas playing faster, look more comfortable. What? <laughs> what a, I'm just. I feel like I can't, I couldn't be more of a broken record constantly because the same stuff I said under Rick, I said under Shotgun, I'm saying here under Beard, and so Texas averaged in the second half. They it was it, it got to be a three point game. Savion Flag hit a three pointer with like 17 and a half minutes left, or right around that. Cut it to 38-35, and. From that time until about the six-and-a-half-minute mark, Texas went from up three to up 19. And they had fifth, Texas had 15 offensive possessions inside of that. Uh, on 11 of those 15 possessions, they scored. And on four, they did not. On the 11 that they scored, their average um, offensive possession length was 11-and-a-half seconds. And the longest possession was 19 of those. Of the four that they did not score on, their average possession length was, I believe, 24 seconds, like 24.3 seconds, and their shortest offensive possession was 19. As they got more and more comfortable, like looking for those early shots, which is something we've been talking about on the, on the pod already this this season, like, hey, we've got capable passers, we've got a lot of hoops IQ, we've got a lot of guys who are able to to find spots, and certainly Marcus is one of those. Can we get Trey Mitchell an early shot where he's got his, you know, where he's got shoulder positioning on the low block? Can we get Marcus Carr shooting in the in the mid range? Can we get Andrew Jones attacking in the mid range? Can we take some of those early open threes, which I think are actually pretty high quality shots for this particular offense? Because the later that we go inside of inside of possessions, the less hero ball kind of players we have. And certainly I think Marcus benefited from that because he was taking early threes when he was open he was rising with confidence I think Marcus is capable of of one or two bounce dribbles into um, into mid-range shots and he looks pretty good what what Marcus is going to struggle with is can he can he finish against uh you know an already there defense like can he finish against a rim protector who is who is waiting for him can he find a way to get in front, you know, to to say with like five or six left seconds left on the shot clock, hey, break down your man and, and get into the lane? I don't I don't think that's going to be his strength. So can we show that confidence and show that ability to to put him in those situations where he's like, hey, we don't this is a good shot for us. What, what if there's seven seconds left on the shot clock or or 17 seconds left? This is the kind of look that we're that we're going to be hopeful for. And as we did that in the second half, I think you saw everyone playing a little bit looser, a little bit freer, and Marcus just seemed to to just, I think, show more confidence than at any other time. You know, that, that 10 or 15-minute stretch was just like, oh, this is what we can be? This is who he's capable of or what he's capable of? And I thought it was, I thought it was fun. Now, he does cause some problems defensively for us because he just does not move his feet very well his his defensive positioning is just not wonderful he is a oh i mean he's an okay rebounder ah not great and which would be fine like if if we had if we had a uh you know if jericho sims and kai jones and greg brown were on this team and they were you know soaking up rebounds and it's not a big deal right we might need a little bit more from him as a rebounder and i just don't know that we can get it so some of those things he just can bring. Some of them it looks like maybe he can't. But I was excited. I just it's fun to see him play because I'm sure he's like he's coming in. He's got all this pressure on his shoulders. They talked about you know people on the staff were talking about him being the best player by far in the in the you know the before the season was coming up. And and I think that obviously starting as slow as he did probably just felt like there was weight on his shoulders. So nice to see him feel like oh that deep breath and like yeah this, this, I can I can play. Let's do this. So there are two defensive notes. Uh, of mine from from the game. I'm going to tag onto what you're talking about with Marcus Carr. Uh, it's a it's a minor thing, but when they do their token pressure, whether it's the, the you know three quarter court pressure, uh, and Marcus is not on the ball, he telegraphs whether or not he's going to trap so badly. And he's so late. He's always late. <laughs> well, he's late, but he's also like you can tell immediately whether he's going to trap or not because he starts doing sort of the jog, and you're like. Okay. Yep. All right. Center of the court's open. Um, which not it's not really a nuisance press if you're not a nuisance. So uh, I mean, when he when he's on ball, he's better about it. But when he's off ball, it's you know you just 
I, I if I'm you know Scott Drew or Bill Self or you know any of them, I'm gonna be like, look, if Marcus Carr's not on you and they do this, watch him because if he's if he's not on the ball and he starts jogging, you you know you can just go to the center of the court and you're good. Um, the other thing is that while while I um, I generally agree that Jace is not uh, really good at keeping his man in front of him. I do like his intelligence as a, an off-ball or recovering defender in that he does a good job of being aware of where the ball is, especially when he's not guarding the ball, and coming up behind and like blocking a shot or altering yeah, a shot. Yeah, that block was legit. That block was legit, yeah. And it's 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 good to see him sort of, uh, you know, there there are little ways in which he uh, he contributes even when he's you know on the weak side or whatever. So it's that's nice to see. Like that's that's something that you get out of a super senior as opposed to a freshman, generally speaking. Um, other than that, I I think we've we've hit pretty much everything as far as Sam Houston State goes. Um, I, I well, I, I did like watching Savion flag, if only because it's one of the first non-Gonzaga times we've seen a legit high major player go up against Texas, especially like a, a an upperclassman, and get a sense of kind of how they do or do not deal with a guy of that strength and that you know general uh, poise for lack of a better term. And he did, he did well early. Uh, he's, he had some issues late, you know, they, they kind of figured out how to sideline him a little bit, which is good, but yeah, generally I thought that was, that was, that was sort of, you know, we're, we're all sort of reading the tea leaves in these, these weaker games. And that was, that was an interesting one. Um, also I liked reminding Texas A&M fans that he's not there anymore. So there's that. Eat shit. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I have want to. I want to give them a whole whole bunch of shit, but at the same time, I would have absolutely taken Buzz Williams. So uh, you know, every every time they lose, I'm like, yeah, that's fucking sucks. Just okay, let's not ask any follow up questions. Um, so before- a quiver, an arrow in my quiver, for what it's worth. So yeah, pretty much, <laughs> pretty much. So uh, before we get into the upcoming games, uh, we're gonna talk a little little macro talk about sort of what. Well, not necessarily what we see going forward exactly, but kind of high level views of, of what we're uh, what we're seeing. So we're at the beginning of some macro talk where we're going to talk about some sort of like high level view we have of, of where the team is and, and what we might see going forward. Um, Tim, so there was a, a discussion point we had prior to recording where uh, you wanted to talk about sort of tactically, uh, what Texas is trying to figure out or what, what they're kind of the, the, the math they're doing on rotations and, and schemes. So what, what was, what was that point that you wanted to make? Yeah. So for me, when I have watched the last few games where, where I find myself most intrigued is I can't always tell when we're trying to iron out some of our deficiencies and where we're learning that we just really aren't that good, <laughs> it's it's not it's not like we're not capable. It's not like we don't have a group of of talented guys. It's not like I think that we're going to be bad. But I do think that you know, being six games into the season, and particularly playing the teams that we've been playing, if we can't exert dominance in some areas against these teams, the likelihood that we could exert dominance against, or even like. <laughs> above mediocrity against some of the other teams that we're going to play, the Kansas and Baylor and, and Tennessee and, you know, whoever else of, of, uh, of our schedule, it just, it's just really small. So, so some of the things that I felt like we saw a few games ago, it, uh, if you had talked to me about Cal Baptist or, or how we played against, um, how we played against, uh, like San Jose State or Northern Colorado, a lot of what we were doing against them, we were trying to like force feed Trey Mitchell and Christian Bishop on the block, and we were looking to see, hey, can we rely on them to be scorers in those spots and spaces? And it was fine, but not great. And it didn't, you know, the question was, all right, well, are we figuring out if those guys can finish in those spots? Or are we seeing if we can do that at all? Like, if we're trying to help them progress in that area, cool. 
but maybe we're learning that like, okay, well, if we can't rely on them to finish in those spots, then we probably can't rely on them later on at all. Well, what about Christian Bishop as as a room protector? Well, if we can't rely on him to to show that against Cal Baptist, then we probably can't rely on that at all. Well, what about Marcus Carr uh, as a dribble penetrator uh, and finisher at the rim? If we can't rely on that against <laughs> Sam Houston State, then we just probably can't rely on that at all. And so as we as we move into some of these things, I'm trying to figure out what we know and what we don't know. And it's not like, oh, these are things that we're building and we're trying to structure into our game. No, it's more like, okay, well, let's try some of this stuff. And if we get an inclination that it's possible, then fantastic. If we get an inclination like, oh, it's just it's not going to work uh, against these opponents, then maybe we just we don't need to spend a whole lot of time on that. So I, I've I've really been paying close attention to who are our primary primary ball handlers, who do we want taking shots, um, you know, from three that we're trying to find for for floor spacing. How do we incorporate Trey and and Christian into our offensive sets? Uh, who can we rely on as defensive rebounders? Who can we figure out as far as guys that can stay in front of the basketball at all? on the defensive end and some of that stuff. And for like the second or third time this tonight that we've talked about this, Marcus and Timmy and Andrew and Jace and Courtney can all really pass the ball and Trey. They can all really pass the ball and Courtney and Andrew and Marcus and Jace um, and a little bit Trey can really shoot the ball from the outside and Andrew and Courtney and Timmy can get to the foul line and will probably execute at the foul line. And, and some of those things I do feel like that we know. And some of those other things, I, I'm not totally sure what to expect because I think we're kind of proving that we just don't have it. That some of those wrinkles that they're trying to see, like, oh, what about this? Uh, oh, well, no, Timmy Allen cannot be a primary ball handler. He had four turnovers against Sam Houston State. He looked pretty shitty with the ball against Cal Baptist. Like if he gets into the teeth of the defense, he's he's just as likely to have it stripped as he is to kind of make you know make a play. Or well, what about Trey Mitchell? Can he can he defend on the interior? Nope, <laughs> he's a below the rim kind of guy who just really can't you know even uses his strength and girth to to you know change the course of, of dribble penetrators or or if he's one on one with somebody. Okay, so so as 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 the season progresses. As we play tougher and tougher opponents, um, I think we're going to have this particular team, and I'm, I'm fascinated about it because I'm not sure in my entire time following a Texas team I've been quite so focused on what we can't do. Like, you see the potential of some of these pre- previous teams under Shaka. Like, oh, when Matt Coleman figures it out, watch the fuck out. When Greg Brown gets his shit together, watch the fuck out. When Kai Jones understands how, like, to, you know, to run like a like an older gazelle, not a younger gazelle, watch the fuck out. When when Jericho Sims figures out like how he can attack the rim, watch the fuck out. And but I was focusing more on that than what they can't do. And yet, I feel like the limitations of this particular team have me focusing more on what they can't do than what they can. And so how does the staff really find a way to maximize, okay, here's what we absolutely can do. We can shoot in the mid-range. We can find early three-point looks that are open. We can get Trey the ball early, you know, where he's got his shoulder positioning and he can kind of finish over either shoulder or down on the low block. We can count on Timmy Allen to be a guy who can kind of be a safety valve and, and be a tertiary ball handler and find his way to the rim or the foul line. We can rely on Jace to hit open three, like whatever it might be. So can they take those... 10 to 12 to 15 things that we can do and turn that into success against the type of teams at the level that we'd like for them to. And I just, I hope so. (laughs) But when you see a team struggle against, against the level of opponent that we're playing against, and again, it was a three point game with about 15 minutes left or 16 minutes left in the second half against Sam Houston state, who I believe was two and five or two and six at this point. Like that's, that's just not a team that we would like to be struggling with, especially if you're, if you're going to say to me, this all comes back to, I'm sorry. I know I'm, I'm absolutely rambling. I'm sorry, but that's, it's if, fine. I've not, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Just, just ramble away. I've, I've got many, many refutations and rebuttals. <laughs> if you're going to say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to fill our, our schedule with this type of teams or with these types of teams, then I would really hope that you would say, all right, we are going to, 
we're going to find like we're not going to be finding ourselves we're going to fine tune ourselves but i feel like we're finding ourselves and if you're finding yourself against a team that's ranked in the low 200s or in the high 300s or something then you're you're or talking the mid 300s right you're talking about an opponent that just that fundamentally should not be able to hurt you. They just they shouldn't be able to hurt you. But we're not talking about dominating them. We're talking about figuring things out against them. But my thing is, you can't figure things out against these teams and hope that they're going to translate against the best teams in the country. It's just it's just not like that. Like okay, a two a minus two rebounding against Sam Houston State. What is that against West Virginia? Minus fifteen. Minus 13, minus 19, I don't really know. Or, or you know, Timmy Allen has four turnovers against Sam Houston State. What is that against Baylor? Is that seven turnovers? Does he get any shots? Does he get fouled at all on those ways of the rim? I, those things, again, are we, are, we, are we ironing our deficiencies? Are we ironing out our deficiencies? Or are we actually figuring out, nope, we don't have that. That's a box that we can check on the shit that we just are not capable of. And we don't know. So you know Johnny and I were talking about this before the the podcast and if you take a look at Texas Tech's schedule up to this point their schedule believe it or not is weaker than ours to this point now it won't be for long <laughs> it gets yep. much better for Tech yeah, here they soon. also play Gonzaga right but they um you know like 30 point win 30 point win 30 point win they're shitting on teams more so than we've been to the point where Ken Palm had them rated ahead of us and then they have their first actual test. They go to Providence. Providence is ranked quite a bit lower than Seton Hall for whatever that's worth. I know it's early in the season, but they're ranked quite a bit lower. Texas Tech, after blowing out their opponents, gets beat. And so whatever I, they were I would proving, say that just in, in Tech's defense, they were up like 14 on them. So there was like a period, like that was a game of runs, right? Not, not to take away from your overall point, but sure. it, was, it was a fairly even match. Well, sir, oh, yeah, absolutely. And I'm not saying that we're going to go into these games against whatever opponent and just get smacked and, like, crushed. But I'm, I'm, I'm putting it down. Tim said <laughs> Texas is getting crushed. <laughs> but are, are we going to, again, will it translate? Is this going to – what of these things will translate? Which won't? How are we going to know the difference? How is our staff going to do as far as building those pieces into our offensive and defensive sets? So, and that, that, is, that is all very uh, – that is a very legitimate point. Uh, uh, only one. I'm only giving you one. Um, also, uh, Tim, what, are we figuring out what we can't do or are we ironing out what we're capable of? Can, can, you, can, you, can you talk about that a little bit? So back in 1864, when <laughs> Mary Queen of Scots uh, was eating at Culver's and she was having some uh, cheddar cheese curds, um, I would really, <laughs> I, I, can, there would be a, a like a I don't know a free Patreon sub for someone who like draws Mary Queen of Scots eating Culver's. That that'd be great. Um, I'll, I'll make sure Tim comps or will comps somebody for that. I, I, however, let them eat custard. Yes, <laughs> let them eat cheeseburgers. Uh, so I and I, there was a lot of good stuff in there. There was I, I'm not going to attempt to unpack it all because we don't have a two hour show. We we've only we're only allowed one Dune length preview a year, and we already ran it up. So desert power, desert power. Yes, uh, still suits. We're both wearing still suits. I've been peeing into it the entire time. Um, the feces so I, gets deposited into the hip pocket. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, oh, that's just right in my right in my nerd wheelhouse. All right, so um, so here's here here's a question I have for you, and I I have my own answer for this. Um, I feel like Chris Beard has I'm gonna say three and a half people he trusts right now, and I want you to tell me who you think he trusts at this moment. Not down the road, not Big 12 play. Right now, who do you think he trusts in the lineup? Courtney, Andrew, Timmy Allen, and then your half would be Brock on the defensive end? No, actually. um, Andrew was my half. 
Andrew is mm. the half because I feel like in his six man role he's he's starting to flourish. Like I and I, I feel like that that might be that might be a full four. So for me it is Timmy Allen, it is Courtney Ramey, um, it is uh, Jace Febbers, and I I feel like based on the amount of time he is giving Jace, where he was a sub, he's now a starter, and. I think Beard is relying on his, I will call, I, I mean, I'm going to say defensive ability just because Beard is a defensive first guy. Like, I think he he has a sort of matrix in his head of Jace can get super hot offensively and he's an intelligent defender. So, like, even if he doesn't keep a dude in front of him, he knows how to react, pos- you know, positively. And he makes, like we were talking about, sort of the off-ball blocks and that sort of stuff. Um, so I, I feel like Beard has three and a half guys, potentially four, if Andrew continues to flourish in this six man role as people he can trust. And I I bring that up as a preface to the question of if, and when Desu comes back and he is, let's just for the sake of the argument, say Desu is healthy. He's a hundred percent. He is inserted in the lineup. I feel like one or the other of Bishop and Mitchell is going to be the odd man out here because I I feel like given sort of where they're at, he wants to play Timmy Allen as a four, for lack of a better term, and Desu will be the five, and then he will surround him with Raimi as sort of he's almost like uh, and if we're going to talk about dune he's the concubine that he won't make into his wife as the best ball handler on the team um (laughs) because marcus carr may never may never recover from being being tossed out of the point guard position um i feel like it's not an accident that courtney ramey was the ball handler in the first possession against sam he's state just saying i'm just saying um so I feel like if if we're talking about a, you know, this healthy unicorn that we see in the distance of Dylan DeSue, then it is Carr at the point, Ramey as the second guy who is on the court and probably the not primary but primary ball handler. We have Jace, we have uh, we have we have Timmy Allen, and we got DeSue. Like that's sort of where I think he wants to go. Eventually, assuming Desue eventually makes it in the lineup, but but my question is, and this is sort of a a precursor into crunch time situations because Texas hasn't had many of those. Who do you think Beard really trusts, and who do you think, like in the you know the next couple three four weeks, he's going to come to trust, if anybody different? Well, I guess if the question is really trust then I suppose it's Courtney and Timmy, and that's probably it right now. Yeah. I, I'm not sure that I would go as far to say he actually truly trusts Andrew. Um, and I think he trusts Andrew's game. I don't know that he trusts Andrew's intangibles yet, perhaps. Uh, I think that he's probably seen, he's like all of us, he's so tantalized by Jace's potential and also confounded by Jace's inability to hit a three-point shot unless he's wide ass open and totally in rhythm. <laughs> in which so case, let's, he's... okay. So that's and that's all fair, right? Let, let me yeah. let me. So in, if if we are talking trust, and again, this is this is a fungible thing. Trust becomes crunch time. You're you're up or down by four against Baylor or Kansas with four minutes left. Who is your starting five? Because to me, in this situation, that is who he quote-unquote trusts the most. Marcus, Courtney, Andrew, Timmy, and if hell, if if DeSue is healthy, then the DeSue, if not Mitchell. Okay. To me, that's, that's the guys. Now, I think that like almost every really good college team, when push comes to shove against the best teams... I would not be surprised if this rotation drops to seven. Again, once Desu is healthy, I think that we are going to see a seven of of those those guards: Jace, Marcus, Courtney, Andrew, and Avery Benson. Yeah, uh, Timmy, Trey, and Dylan. 
So at this point, I think that Christian Bishop will be the odd man out. But here's the thing: like Bishop's kind of nailing shit from three, <laughs> and and if Trey if Trey can't rebound like with the minutes that he's getting, like if he can't be trusted to rebound, then kind of like what are we doing with him out there? Because as you when you think about the floor spacing that you can get if if Bishop is going to be a thirty five ish percent three point shooter, so we'll we'll see. But I I do think it's going to be against the best teams i would not be surprised if you have the, that group of seven and then you know five minutes for Devin, five minutes for christian three minutes for brock at the end of a half or something like that to pick up fouls or something but yeah i to me that's I my I, expectation I, I think it was maybe it was westcott who pointed out that brock has more career fouls than points which is incredible i like i i i know it's supposed to be a dig on him but I love that stat and I'm I'm 100% for it. Just I I want to see someone who has a 4-year career who has played as many minutes as he has and still has more fouls than points. Yeah, we're all here for it. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. So I I'm going to sort of I, I mean I, I like I feel like we've already sort of mentioned the Andrew Jones thing because it, it is it does seem like he is uh he is finding a role in this sixth man sort of, you know, Vinnie Johnson instant offense kind of microwave guy that 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 suits him, right? He can come in, he can be a spark, uh, and he can, you know, go in and go for steals and stuff. Like, because he seems like he's his his defensive deficiencies as an on ball guy. He's good at sort of, you know, patrolling the passing lanes and going for steals. Like he's an opportunist maybe is a good way of putting it. So like he has a valuable role, um, which is sort of crazy to talk about a dude who was a McDonald's all American five years ago. And it's like, Hey, he can shoot threes and go get some steals. Um, but yeah, no, it's, there, there, there's sort of a lot of interesting calculus and not to get too far off, off the point, but I think one of the things that I find interesting about Tim talking about, uh, his his focus on what they can't do versus what they can do is I feel like maybe that's a bit of a byproduct of having such an old team of transfers where like all almost all of these guys outside of Tyson are they're just they're they're juniors and seniors they have their uh their their full like that you know who they are right like it's 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 you know the actual as opposed to the potential. And, uh, the guys, whereas you were, you know, in previous years looking at Kai Jones or Mo Bamba or whoever, and you went, oh, well, their potential is limitless. And they're just sort of tapping into it. Like a guy like Marcus Carr, Timmy Allen, you already know who they are. And so it's, it's a different lens to view this team because it's, it's not a team that you're like, oh, well, if all the pieces line up, they are, you know, this, you know, superlative team. It's like, okay, well, we know mostly what they are at this point. So how do you, how do you, how do you meld that so that it can deal with a team like, for example, Baylor, who is a mixture of, of youth and old, like, you know, Kendall Brown is, is, uh, really impressive in his early, in his early going, even though he's got some minor defensive issues, but like, it's 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 I don't know it's sort of an interesting difference in how you look at a team and how you sort of project a team because there's less projection and more actual versus some other teams that might be more projection so uh we've gone into the macro stuff uh we've got two games to talk about coming up the first uh team that Texas is going to play uh is UT Rio Grande Valley which would have been a pretty great team to play during the Abe Lemons Classic, given that they used to be UT Pan American, which Abe Lemons actually coached. But you know, let's just let's just leave that be. Even though I don't want to leave that be, uh, it's a you know, it's one of those the, one of those teams that uh, has been for some people a a jumping off point, uh, or for some people they just never coached again like that was the last team that mark adams was a head coach for before he coached texas tech uh lou hill coached them and then moved on and and to bigger things until uh pretty sure he died 
So... Yeesh, tough stuff. Yeah, um, they're not great. Uh, they played Arizona and lost by 54 points. They played Northern Arizona and lost by two and then won by two. Uh, they played Illinois and lost by nine. So congratulations. Uh, anyway, they, they play really fast. Uh, they don't. Uh, they 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 don't shoot a lot of threes, relatively speaking. I mean, they shoot shoot a fair amount of threes, but it's not a high percentage of their shots. Um, they are pretty bad defensively. Uh, they're probably going to be a team that Timmy Allen and Trey Mitchell and Christian Bishop and anyone over six six uh, has a field day against because. They have one dude who's... No, they've got two guys who are 6'9". Two guys who are 6'9". Uh, that's it. Um, they have a lot of other guys. So that's that's probably going to be a team that Texas beats the shit out of. Uh, hopefully. it's Right now it's a Ken Palm 99% win probability. And at, even though they're ranked 297, it's still the third worst team Texas will have played at that point because San Jose State is at 311 and Houston Baptist is at 350 and there's 357 Arkansas Pine Bluff coming up. So, you know, and 355 Incarnate Word. So even though they are barely above the worst 50 or so teams in D1, only the fourth worst team Texas is playing. So congratulations to everybody. Um... Yeah, I think I understand why that's a 6 p.m. game on LHN. You got anything to say about this? Uh, Just this is another game where I'm going to be focusing on, like, uh, entirely on Texas. Like, I don't give a shit at all about Rio Grande Valley. Like, whatever. Like, good for those guys. They're D1 basketball players. Cool. What sets do we run? What kind of things do we try to, to find as far as, like, you know, type of shots that we're looking for? Defensive rotations. Defensive positioning. How do we attack the glass? Um, not from a like how that will then again translate into against better teams, but what style of play are we trying to put ourselves inside of um, that we will then maybe play in comparable styles against the better teams we play. So where is Timmy Allen defensively? What kind of shots are we looking for Andrew and Marcus and Courtney with? Do we do we abandon Trey and Christian on the low block or do we try to feed them like that kind of stuff? Like, okay, are we still trying this or okay, we've already decided that that's not really going to be what it is. So this will be a very ten- Texas-centric game for me. Uh, also, uh, not sure people saw this, but <laughs> in Arkansas Pine Bluff's last game, their coach called a timeout to make his team run sprints <laughs> in the I, middle I, of the, in the I feel of like the game. <laughs> given the fact that they're going to play like half of the Big 12, they, they're probably running enough. Oh, my feel gosh. Like they're enough. Seriously, yeah. like... Like, how punitive do you need to be, guy? I mean, whatever, I suppose. Like, at, at some point, like, why fucking recruit them if they're this bad? But it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> whatever. We, we, you just you just gave away, like, half of what we're going to talk about in the next podcast. So, um, that's... We got to talk stuff. about... We got to got to come up with something in Arkansas Pine Bluff. So, now it's just going to be a bunch of redneck jokes. So, um, yeah, prepare for that. So... Yeah, pretty pretty much done with UT Greer Grand Valley. Uh, Seton Hall is. Oh, I'm totally gonna call them Arkansas Pine Saw. This will be go. great. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, just just workshop that for the next week or so. You got plenty of time. We're not gonna do a podcast until the thirteenth, I guess. Yeah, so you got plenty of time to come up with whatever Arkansas jokes you need. Um, yeah, so that's that's on december the third december the ninth they uh texas plays uh their second away game of the year <laughs> we're in december and they're playing their second away game of the year not even a neutral site okay anyway um seton hall which has been a sort of surprising team to me this year so far i mean maybe not not super surprising like kevin willard is, is he's a he's a good coach i, I guess i just they're marginally better than i expected um and texas goes to seton hall to play this game uh currently it is a uh ken palm 49 percent win probability for texas which means it's basically a toss-up um this is probably a game that if it was in austin texas is mildly favored um seton hall is six and one their only loss is to ohio state 
who they lost to by three points. Uh, Ohio State is the same team that beat Duke this this week, so that's that's no slouch. Uh, they've beaten Michigan, who seems to have some some issues, but is still a a, a pretty good team. Other than that, uh, they've played some, you know mildly above average teams like Cal and Yale and, and Wagner and, and beat them, you know, fairly closely. Uh, they've been fairly close games. They, they haven't had a lot of blowouts. Um, what I'm interested in with this game and I, I what I think will be uh, maybe not instructive, but, but a data point is that uh, Texas to date ha- when they have beaten these lesser teams, they have done it, in a large part based off of generating turnovers and getting offense off those turnovers. Uh, they have been one of the better teams to date in, in that scenario. Well, Seton Hall plays a pretty fast game, and they also are really good at not turning the ball over. So I am going to be very interested in seeing, one, if Texas can turn that team over, two, if they do, if they're, gonna, they're able to convert it to points, um, the other thing is that, uh, Seton Hall is a really good rebounding team on both ends of the court. Uh, and I, I think that, uh, if, if Texas is going to figure out how to deal with rebounding on, on, on either or both ends, uh, they've got to do it against a team like this because, uh, what's the guy's name who is, uh, let me pull it up. Um, Oh, uh, Obiagu, he is a really good rebounder, and especially on the offensive glass. And I, I think that, a, and he blocks a ton of shots. So um, between him and Roden, I think those are, that. I think this is going to be a really good test for Texas. Um, and I'm, I'm really interested to see how they, you know, how they attack a team like this if they're able to generate turnovers against a, a, a fairly old team who's used to dealing with a lot of situations. Well, I wonder if there are kryptonite because the things that they do terrifically match up pretty well with what we struggle with. They have an awesome rim protector, like you said, in Obiagu, who is like, if, if Courtney and Andrew and Marcus get into the paint, like good luck. They, like you said, yeah, they are he's, terrific. He's going to hit. He's Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like they're going to have to like get into his body for sure. Right. They they don't shoot great from the outside, but they defend the three point line really well, which could be our kryptonite with that again because you know we need to shoot well from the outside. They they don't play super duper fast, so are we going to be able to kind of dict- or dictate tempo with them? Um, you know, I, I I we'll have to see how well we are able to kind of get into our action again. I I feel like there is a pretty clear four or five layer um, way that we can compete with anybody, but I don't know about Seton Hall because I think that they're kind of uniquely positioned to have strengths right where we are at our weakest. So. I don't know that we're going to get any points in the paint. <laughs> I don't know that we're going to, you know, how how many clean looks we're going to get from three. I'm not sure how well we'll be able to to turn them over. You know, maybe somewhat, but but it's that's they're just they're you know I don't think Seton Hall is incredibly good, uh, but I do think they're plenty they're plenty capable, and they're going to out athlete us. Like they're going to have stronger, longer, better athletes than we do. So so from from our personnel standpoint, we're going to have to really take care of the things that we can do well, because the things that we struggle with will probably be pretty glaring and, um, and tough, rough, tough for us to take advantage of, or, or at least very unlikely that we'll take advantage of those things. So like, can Andrew get into the paint? Probably not. Can Marcus get into the paint? Probably not. If Courtney does, will he finish? I doubt it. Will Timmy be able to kind of dribble in the lane against these guys? Uh, unlikely. So, so that, that kind of stuff will be, will be like, can we, can we find, can we maximize the things that we do well against them? Yeah, I think this, I mean, as much as I would, I feel, okay, so let me, let me put it to you this way. Um, And this may be more of a question than a statement. If we do not see DeSue in the game before this, do you think we see him in Seton Hall? Because this feels like a rough game to bring him out in as, as his first game. If I had to guess, I'm hopeful he will come back against either Pine Bluff or Rice. Okay. So that's with my, him, that's my hope. And that's, yeah, that's fair. Like, so I think, 
if Dassault is not out there against Seton Hall, and again, I, I, I hate bringing this up as this large caveat because I don't want to overbuild him. Like, I don't want to overhype him. Like, he's a very good player, and he does a, he does a number of things really well, but he's not Kevin Durant, right? Like, he's not a savior. He's, he's very good at things he does well, but he's, he's, not, he's not a cure-all. Um, I, I'm thinking more in terms of if they're going to deal with offensive and defensive rebounding issues, then a guy like DeSue helps. If they're going to deal with maybe trying to keep a guy like Obiagu away from guards, like you can use Desue, uh and hopefully guys like Allen and, and Mitchell and Bishop to sort of wall him off to keep him away, then then that's that's something I'd like to see. Well, here's what I think Desue brings that I'm most excited about. He, for, I think he's going to fortify one of the things that we need most desperately, which is a three-point shooting, right? I think he can step in and be a 35, 37, maybe like a 40% plus on a great night shooting uh, guy from three-point range, which we have to have. We, we need that three-point shooting because that opens up a lot of the floor. It's a, a look that I think that we can take advantage of with our passers, things like that. And then the other part is he he will step onto the floor and be our best defensive rebounder immediately. So he fortifies what we need most and helps at least some on what we struggle with potentially most. So will he be a savior? I don't think he's a guy that's going to create his own look. Will he be someone that can like pass people open? I doubt it. Will he be someone who's super dynamic defensively? Nope, I don't think so. But he will. He will. I don't think he will make us uh, any worse as a shooting team, and maybe can make us better. And I do think he raises our, you know, raises our, our our floor as a defensive rebounding team, which both of those would be very welcome things. Yeah, it's the the floor is already pretty low, so that's not <laughs> quite low. Yeah, very yeah. low. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess I, I would say, uh, you know, I, maybe if this was in Austin, I would think Texas would be a mild favorite. Um, I. I I mean, I guess here. So here's here's the thing: is that I don't expect Texas to meaningfully slow down Seton Hall offensively, which is where they do get out and run a lot. Uh, defensively, they're not like a super fast team, but offensively, especially off missed shots, they get out and they just go. And and Beard's defense works best as a set defense. And I feel like if they are not able to if Texas doesn't hit shots, then Seton Hall is going to get out and run down the other end of the court and hit them before they really get set for the most part. And so that's that's sort of if Andrew and Ramey and some other guys like really start nailing shots and they get hot, then this gets to be a lot more interesting game where, you know, Seton Hall could definitely lose. But I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to call Seton Hall a mild favorite in this personally. Um, I, I think Tim is dead on with his uh, point that that Seton Hall sort of in terms of just a straight matchup like they do things really well that Texas does not do very well so we'll see we we will see and that will be on uh December 9th Thursday December 9th uh, I think that's on when is that let me see what is that on I want to say they're on they're probably gonna be on FS1 because that's that's the big 12 big east I'd assume so yeah yeah probably so um Anyway, so that's probably going to wrap it up for tonight. Uh, we have uh, talked in your ear holes enough as it is. Uh, we're, we have managed to fit an hour plus into uh, a week with three games we didn't really give a shit about. So congratulations to us and uh, sorry. So thank you for listening to, for, to Pretend We're Football for the last hour-ish. I'm not your host, Will Baser, uh, but you can find him on twitter at w-i-l-l-b-a-i-z-e-r he's got a patreon for his Hornscast stuff so if you like his various podcasts you should subscribe to that and uh donate to his patreon and also you can find this and every other Hornscast podcast on podbean and google play and stitcher and pornhub i, I don't remember where they're all at there's a bunch of them tim well, I'm, I'm not going to talk talk to you. You're not going to get it. I got to I got to do me first because we got to end with you. You're the closer. I'm the setup man. You're the closer. So uh, you can find me 
uh, on Twitter at Bitter White Guy. You can find me uh, on Substack at Bitter White Guy. I also have a Patreon, which is probably not really worth donating to, but you know, if you want to hand some money, feel free. Somebody just tipped me fifty bucks for no apparent reason. Uh, thank you very much, Monty. Uh, did not expect that. Uh, your pictures of like the pictures of my balls will be in the mail whenever I figure out your email address. Congratulations, by the way. Uh, I've I've been growing the hair out a lot lately, so um, you just you know just just marinate in it. Tim, where can we find you? Uh, as far away from those pictures as possible. <laughs> They're already on your phone. <laughs> Curses! Uh, uh, com. Uh, awesome community, come join us. And then on Twitter, InsideTexasHoop, no S. Uh, I never post shit on there, so follow me at your risk. Um, but I'll tell you what, um, I killed them. Uh, I killed them all. They're dead. Every single one of them. And not just the men, but the women and the children, too. They're like animals. And I slaughtered them like animals. I hate them. That's great. So are we going to do the inspirational movie quote now or, or what? Uh, that, what? That was... I just, just That felt more like a Mindhunter confession. So I don't It was from Attack of the Clones. The single was it? Because it felt like it was from Rudy. I thought it was from Rudy. Because it's well, definitely Will's favorite Rudy quote. I, w- I want Rudy to dress in my place, coach. Uh, hook em horns, everybody. We'll see ya. <laughs>